Hello, hello. Um, so welcome to Fireside Chat number 53. Uh, we have a special guest with us. So just some quick introductions. I am Mash. I'm one of the founders uh, for Codurance. I'm joined here by uh, regular Jose, uh, who is the MD for Spain. And our special guest for today is Steve Lidford. He is the COO for, for Codurance UK. Uh, Sandro has uh, more important and better things to do, to do today <laughs> than <laughs> but I'm sure he is gonna be missed. So, um, as usual, uh, the, the whole concept of the fireside chat is that we we end up after work chatting to each other over a drink or two, and and usually it's re- related to work and full of our opinions often uninformed opinions that we like to pass on as facts. <laughs> but, um, and then we just, and it's, it actually helps us learn on a more serious note. And we thought, well, why not uh, start recording and, and streaming this so that um, other people can also uh, join in on the conversation or at the very least listen. So you can subscribe to our YouTube uh, Fireside channel. So it will give you a, um, a notification when we are on next and uh, join us live as well and ask questions because that enriches the conversation a lot and thank you always to some of our regulars who who are on on there already right so today's topic is speeding up software delivery so what are the things that slow it down and and what are the things that that actually can help speed it up uh, and before we we even talk about speeding software delivery. Maybe we can scope this. So, who's going to start with defining what we mean by software delivery, at least for this conversation? Steve, do you want to go? <laughs> yeah, go for it. I was looking for the mute button. I'm not used to this thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess um, for this, I guess we can we we, we kind of uh, we, we could talk about kind of working well-crafted software in the hands of customers, right? So working good quality, working software into production. Um, that I guess that gives us a scope that provides value because, you know, there's no, um, there are many ways to speed up software if you never wanted to uh, wanted to go live. But um, yeah, I guess for this, working software in the hands of customers, so working deployed software. Yeah. All right. And everything, software delivery, as in the whole process from inception to the hands of the customers. Yes. That's what we're going to be focusing on. All right. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, okay. yeah. So, first, why speed it up? No. Nope. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing. And a lot of the times, the, I think it would be interesting to to make the distinction here that we're not only about only talking about, you know, putting software out, but also good software, right? So not, let's say, not sacrificing uh, quality and all of these things, yes. no, just to you know, to finish the job, so, so mm-hmm. to speak. Uh, but how to, you know, without doing that kind of sacrifice, can you speed it up? No? And I think a lot is sacrificed to, in the altar of speed no or efficiency in, in some cases no and it, in general uh, the main tendency is to to work more no it's like oh we need to get this shipped you know by friday then everyone's like doing overtime or 
but that may not necessarily be the best thing, right? Like in order to speed up, at least in, in uh, I'm, I'm talking about my experience now, is you need to do things differently, not more of the of the same, no? Uh, and I think that's that's important. Well, playing devil's advocate, you know, mm -hmm. if you work more, you might, you know, produce more code and you mm -hmm. get, might get more features out. I mean, almost everyone at least does the whole kind of concept of a crunch time when the, you know, the release is due. Uh, so it must have some benefit if so many people are doing it. Yeah, but is that speeding up your software delivery or is that just putting more effort into your software delivery therefore you you get more done. That that's mm -hmm. that's the, the thing because you're working more. Yeah. Right? So for me, speeding up would mean you know would mean maintaining uh, you know, effort. Your, your effort, yeah, and getting more either the same done in in the in a shorter amount of time, no, or a or more in the same amount of time. No? Which is the sustainable the pace thing, right? From XP. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A crunch comes now and again. We just kind of accept it, and it's not unique to software development. But the, um, but that's that shouldn't be a strategy. Right? Yeah, that should be a remediation, not not. A, it should, should mm -hmm. be something you plan in. Cause, so, because also it it addresses you know a symptom, right? Like, oh, we're not getting to the oh let's let's put on more effort now in order to get to that deadline or or whatever. But you're kind of not dealing with the underlying problems that got you there, right? Like whatever is making you miss that that deadline, yeah, you're not addressing. You're you're trying to get to the deadline, so you're treating the symptom of, of missing out on the deadline, but you're not treating what is causing that. Right. Mm -hmm. It can it can make it even worse, in fact. Right. So mm -hmm. because you earlier you um qualified, uh, we're not just talking about delivering faster, but de delivering quality software faster. Do we have to make that qualification? Does it mean, so this is an interesting uh, question then. Can we sustainably ship shit, but quickly without it kind of coming back at us? Well, yeah, good point. No, right, because uh, you're... This is where you get start to talk about things like tech debt and and uh, you know the ability to kind of um, make easy changes uh, without affecting other parts of software and and things like that. And you, if you just deliver crap forever, eventually, and probably not after after not very long, it will come and bite you, right? And it will end up slowing you down. Yeah, um, I think yeah. we need to to qualify this further because I'm um, um, some. Cases come to mind where yes, you you could do that, and it's not gonna bite you in the ass, right? Like if it's a throwaway thing, like we just need mm -hmm. this for this particular thing, like you just do it, you know, it, it works for whatever brief amount of time you you need it to work, and then you can replace it or, or do something else. And also, uh, when you're working with a product, you know, something along the lines of you know a WordPress that needs some little customization or whatever, and then you know you're you're churning out those types of websites, let's say. Mm -hmm. That would also, uh, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be such a big problem, right? Uh, because, the, again, the 
criteria no that that you're using or the 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 future proofness no of that or even the stability of the system itself you're not building it from scratch you're basically you know working on top of something that is quite stable no uh, would help but i guess that we are we are thinking or most of us are thinking no the this custom made software no or this system that you're building yourself that needs to last for a very long time you know you're building your um your business on top of and that kind of stuff no and needs to change right but yeah as the business and needs to and needs to change as opposed to yeah yeah so basically software that's evolving alongside your business right mm -hmm. so so let's move on to then what what is it that usually slows down delivery so before we start talk about speeding it up what are the factors that are slowing it down not typing the yeah. uh, i think it, it's <laughs> not, not typing no i mean it's, it's uh, not typing fast enough but i remember i remember um you know maybe uh, a few years ago there was a whole bunch of people you know, uh, buying faster keyboards and learning to touch type and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I, I was being a bit flippant with not typing. But in, in my experience, it's not. It's very rarely that that people are not writing the code quick enough. Right? It's, there's a massive big value stream, like Jose said, right from someone having an idea to it getting in production. And uh, very rarely, I've seen it be that the, the, the people are not writing the code fast enough, right? There are lots of other areas that I would probably go to first. Even, I mean, you can take it further, and it's it's often something that is uh, said in um, against pair programming, that there's not enough hands-on keyboards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing, isn't it? You can take it to not typing enough, basically. <laughs> so that's basically yeah. the same, same thing. People are not typing enough keys and so we we are slow right that's also part of it uh, yeah no, but there, there is some uh truth to it no and and if you you start at the beginning of of the whole thing right like when you're trying to get that idea of what you need to build a lot of the times no just to to follow on what steve was saying you know maybe the development time we're, we're focusing on optimizing the development time but we took three months before we even got to that point where we, you know, where we we're actually writing the feature, no? And out of those three months, it's not like we were intensively working on defining the feature, no? It was maybe one meeting, uh, then a week later, another one, then, you know, maybe Wait someone did some work someone. and then yeah. someone's waiting for something to get approved or stuff like that. So there's a lot of uh, poor, flow efficiency you know the, the, the that percentage of time that the work is actually being done versus the the time that is waiting no mm -hmm. uh, is is quite high especially on the definition uh stages no and a lot of the times we're talking about how do we make you know the development people typing no more uh, you know faster right so that's one of the requirements getting defining ideation all of this stuff is tends to take a very long time and there there tends to be a lot of waste uh, around that right uh, I, I think one of the reasons is that people tend to think that it needs to be perfect in order for you to be able to to start you no know? and this is uh, that takes a lot of effort you no know? trying to to get every screen perfect every you know and then we can start 
development. No, and this may not be the case if you're working more in a more agile uh, way of working, where you where you already have UX and design integrated into your workflow. But a lot of companies that are doing agile for the software development aspect, or let's say the code writing aspect, they still follow a very waterfall approach to all of the ideation uh, aspects of of the product. No? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned lots of waiting time there, right? Which is one of the the things that you would do in that kind of lean product development flow, right? Where any time in spent in queues is is waste, and that, that's what you would try and cut down. And I think there's a lot of often, you know, again in, in my experience, which is limited, or, or um, there's a, an awful lot of waste in that left hand side before it even gets to the development team of just kind of you know waiting for decisions and and. Uh, um, uh, and exactly as you said, one one because it's trying to get perfect, and two because it's trying to be the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, um, rather than you know the the the, um, the kind of ideation, product design, requirements gathering can also be done iteratively. Right? So th- this is actually quite interesting, but I, I think we are maybe um, referring to certain things that people may not be aware of. So maybe worth setting some some context around uh, around this, like the what we're talking about queues. So I guess we're talking about value streams. We are talking about, you know, um, the, uh, the release site. management, whether you do big band releases or you're constantly, you know, mm-hmm. pushing stuff so, out and iterating on it. So, so, yeah, so just to kind of set a bit of scene, uh, what we are talking about is in Lean specifically that, you know, there is this, idea of a value stream and you know you got various stages so all the way from uh, kind of inception of an idea or, or some feedback that results in something appearing in a, in the in the backlog as it were and it needs to go through refinement or maybe you have an a kind of ideation process that goes before that and that turns in brings something in that then needs to be refined then it needs to be you know, turned into a backlog maybe, you need to have screens, you need to have a lot of the analysis works and UX, UI work that happens or often happens earlier on. Uh, and that turns into a backlog with stories and so on. And, the, you know, eventually it comes into the hands of the the developers who then build it and then testers and so on. So there is this whole kind of different I would say could be considered distinct stages of software development all the way from an idea or well, some I, kind of feedback I, to more than more than say is I would say they're more like activities. No activities that you need to do in order to deliver that value. No from idea or, or, or detecting the need all the way to fulfilling the need. Mm-hmm. What are all the things that need to be done? The activities in order for yeah. to to get all the way there. Yeah. Most of the time That's you can split those in stages as well. No, but. Uh, yeah. But thinking of it not as in stages that need to happen, but activities and how some of those activities are non-value-adding activities, yeah. no? But uh, also, is... also like how much you split them down into stages and how big those stages are, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think it's, it is useful to think of them activities because then you're not implying that they have to be stages because they don't have to be stages. And I think there's some of the things that you're talking about queues there, Steve, which is actually related to handover because a queue exists in between two stages. Mm-hmm. And handover, if it has to be done explicitly, and the more cumbersome and the more big, the bigger it's in scope it is, 
the more ceremony that has to sit behind it, and also the more out of sync it can get with the downstream stages, which means that the queues can build up. You then start needing queues in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, so that's another aspect of it is, is that the number of stages, in a way, is also a form of a or an area where things can slow down because you know you you the if you if the, all the activities were were integrated in a way that they are they're seamless there's no stages or handover between them then you start talking about queues and you start talking about this ultimate flow of value from from left to right, right? you're right and I, I think that where there is handover i think the the quality of the thing that's being handed over has a massive effect on the um, on that handover. So if you think um, uh, there's something simple like uh, I, I don't know writing a user story acceptance criteria something ready for development to go to sprint planning. Right? Mm -hmm. If that's extremely well written, sprint planning will be painless. If there's if if that thing is very badly written or or um, incomplete uh, from the previous stage, then the sprint planning can be the you know. Six-hour nightmare that we've all we've all seen at some point in our career, right? The same at the other end when we we maybe go out to um, um, some sort of um, UAT, for example, right? If the if the output from the development and or the development and uh, stage is poor, then UAT that handover is going to be very painful as well. Mm -hmm. So it's the quality at each stage, as well as the um, just time waiting for things for events to occur. Mm -hmm. there, there is another aspect that uh, you mentioned briefly with the queuing, uh, and I think it's it's a good time to to bring it in, which is the, the, this whole idea of theory of constraints, right? Like in that, you know, value chain or that chain of activities that need to happen, the output or or how well the system is able to to achieve its objective, nor to uh, that throughput of of, of value is defined by a very small number of constraints, in general, one or two, right? That are kind of limiting how everything else uh, works, mm -hmm. no? And when you are uh, finding that, uh, let's say, that you're you're getting a queue between these stages or whatever, what it means is that you've found where your limiting constraint is, no? Like if, if things are piling up, I don't know, in QA, right? Then you have a problem there, right? Like you have a uh, you have a constraint that is not letting the flow move forward, mm -hmm. right? And then it needs to be addressed uh, somehow. And, right? and actually, it, it goes further than that to say that work spent on anything other than the most limiting constraint is waste. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's no although, point in making although that theory has a lot of detractors, eh? Because well, yeah. working on just the most limiting thing at a time, only prioritizing that and so on, it's considered to be somewhat of an extreme, right? Nowadays, anyway. Mm -hmm. I think when the goal, the book, The Goal, by the way, kind of talks about it in a very entertaining way. But um, yeah, it's, it describes that theory of constraints and how actually looking at certain things actually really helps you eliminate those bottlenecks and and you know, so that then you can elevate and then eliminate type thing, right? And then you can, uh, so you, th I think there are there is a body of kind of argument around that as well. But in in uh, in my view, at least, in uh, at kind of the basic concept is still very valuable. Yeah, mm -hmm. it allows you to think 
uh, of the the system in this case the the development process no in in a different way you know so trying to figure out where are those constraints what is what is it that is limiting the 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 output no also <clears throat> in order for this to kind of work out yeah uh, some of those like kanban for instance introduce stability in the system by by introducing constraints Mm-hmm. themselves right like things like limiting the work in progress uh mm-hmm. which is often you know the switching context and all of these things are often a, a source of waste no you suddenly have i don't know you're working on three different features at the same time you're very busy everyone is very busy but nothing gets delivered right <clears throat> and that uh context switching that lack of focus uh and so on is is part of what is causing that right so some yeah. methodologies like Kanban try to introduce that stability by artificially creating that limit mm-hmm. so that you can find a balance between how much stuff you have in you know in in working at this you're working on at the same time, no, and how much the system can can produce, right? And how long it takes to to produce as it's, well. It's right? that all the adage of uh, stop starting and start finishing. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. but there there are a couple of questions actually, and I think they are yeah, really important that we discuss. Uh, one, two actually follow ups from uh, Emmanuel. Uh, how would you measure the speed of your software delivery at a company level, and when do you start to measure the speed of delivery from the discovery and so on? So I, I think the first question is kind of very pertinent. Is like, and maybe we'll hopefully frame our discussion as well. What? How do you measure? Uh, the the speed of delivery. Then it's interesting, isn't it? You you can you can measure the time taken, right? Quite easily through that value stream we said from the initial idea to um, to work in software and production. You can measure the time of that and each stage within it. But that doesn't necessarily measure value. Mm-hmm. That measures, you know, some code going out. Whether it ma- you know maybe there are other metrics. That you could use to to measure the not only the um, the time that the the time to create value, and I don't think just measuring time mm-hmm. um, necessarily gives you that. No, it's a, it's actually a very good good point. Uh, although, and maybe we want to because you can always take it forward to like okay, measuring impact, uh, and that is certainly that needs to be something that needs to be done, and that is the real measure of any software. But I think. The, how you measure what the impact is and how you measure that would would change according to your context. So you can't generalize and discuss that too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, one can always say you're working for a business and its profits and its revenues and so on. Ultimately, the goal kind of talks about that as well. But I think for the purposes of this conversation, we can't take it down to that level because, you know, that is different for every context. Yeah, but mm-hmm. but he's also not asking about the value, right? Like he's asking about the speed of <clears throat> of delivery, right? So, yeah. what what is the unit that you are measuring? Is it a user story, like delivery of what? And what's the size of of your unit of, you know, value or or software? Is yeah. it a comet, right? Like how long does this you know comet take to be in in production? No. Mm-hmm. Or is it a user story? Or you know what that the granularity is is, is important as well, isn't it? <clears throat> isn't it a 
something, I mean, like if you really think about the definition of a user story, right, it's meant to be something that is independently deployable that has value to the to the user, to the end customer, right? So, I mean, we, of course, take that and take it even further but, down. But again, we yeah. very rarely do that, right? Because, <laughs> but that's no, but his was... question, but his question, his question was, right, a software delivery, right? Like, yes, the hands of the customer, it's put in production. It may not be adding as much value as, as we expect because it's, the feature is not turned on or whatever, right? Uh, but it's it's about if you it's, know, not whatever, on, it's not turned on, it's not whatever. Delivered. That's the way I see it. I think that I well, no, well, I... the way we can we can we can constrain like user stories or definition of it doesn't talk about like feature flags. It talks about something that is in the like you know you kind of a distinct piece of functionality that you you build and deploy and that can be used by the customer. Whether that is something new as an enhancement, but it is deployed and can be used by the customer, right? So if you just kind of constrain it to that, then I think we can, then my personal view is that then you you don't really need to worry about how big or small each individual story is. They can be quite wide ranging. It doesn't matter to my, in my view. I, what I matters is that- with, I, I disagree with, with that because the size of the story actually creates a, a batching. Right, like because mm -hmm. you can split the story. You know, the bigger the story, the more chances there is that you can split that into individual parts that also add value, right? And those could be delivered, right? But so that, you are creating what... some sort of batching that that will actually uh, make it harder for you to to have that constant flow of value, yeah. But because but... you're waiting for the whole thing to be finished. But that's what I'm saying is that there is a, there is a theory that you know, like all these questions are secondary because if you are really thinking about this, the um, uh, is it the cycle time or the uh, what's what, the other one? The, the lead time. Lead time or the cycle? I, I th in the lead time, Le right? It, they're from, they're from, the same. Lead time is just you know the whole thing. The whole and thing. Cycle I mean, time the whole is thing. between different between points. Each, of the... Yeah. So I, I mean the the lead time. If all you're looking at is the lead time. Actually, and when you are looking at optimizing that or keeping to keeping it to a, a range, you will automatically start thinking around what the sizes of your your stories should be. It's actually a secondary concern because if you, you you know like a lot of people say, well, if your story is big, then you're batching a lot. But if you're batching a lot, your 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 lead time is going to increase, right? So, so you you end up just looking at the lead time, like how how quickly can you take a, a story, let's say in this case, or a valuable thing from left to right, how quickly you can take it. Then you don't actually have to say, well, how big or small it needs to be, because actually that's a secondary concern. You, in order to keep that well, uh, that lead time low, you're gonna have to start thinking around reducing this, the the size so that you are in, delivering yeah. incrementally and at the right level, right? I think that's often a lot of people talk about like the size and so on. And it's it's actually just a, another secondary thing uh, when you compare that to to lead time itself. Mm -hmm. so this this uh, talks as well to one of the, uh, something that, that someone in the chat was saying around uh, classes of service. Yeah, talking about Kanban and so on. <clears throat> uh, 
because you don't have, this is another aspect of speeding software delivery. You don't have to treat every user story or every you know unit of value you know, that you want to deliver the same way, no. right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this is where things like, you know, expedites and uh, you know, standard work and fixed date and, you know, unta- intangibles and this kind of stuff come in, right? And the to to be fair, when people use uh, classes of service and they're not, let's say, a, a mature, you know, Kanban team or they're just, you know, doing some scrum ban or whatever people call it, yeah, <clears throat> it's just uh, they usually make it as a as a way for someone, a manager or whatever, to to be able to streamline whatever it is that, exactly. they, that they want to put through. <laughs> I, I remember one client we had, they, they called it like a cardboard uh, and then kind of like some kind of uh, concrete and metal or something like this. They, they called it like, so, you know, I want this feature about cardboard quality. You know, it's like just, uh, just do a cardboard <laughs> and then like make it concrete and make it metal. And it was everything cardboard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. but it's um, basically the, the problem with classes of service. And I think, who was it uh, talking about testing? You know, yeah, it, it was asking uh, about this. The, the problem with classes of service is that classes of service are not meant to be uh, stable, right? And if you look at it, like something like technical debt, for instance, no, which is an intangible, like something that you want to get done, but not necessarily now, right? As time goes by, it it quickly becomes, you know, an expedite kind of thing, like drop everything because we yeah. can. No? So so as time goes by, the classes of service should change for, for the items. And this is what I found a lot of the times that people don't actually re- Evaluate the class of service that they're doing for the for the work that they have in the backlog or they're at the moment, no, that they're doing at the moment, <clears throat> and that in itself creates a creates a problem, right? Because you may have important stuff that now becoming you know urgent and and so on that you're not addressing, right? Yeah. You're maybe giving priority to to stuff that you put later in the backlog, no? Yeah. But you Things. you just qualified it as a. But the other thing that's at the bottom that used to be an intangible is now you know has has gone up as well. No, in in exactly, in and it it kind of almost starts. <laughs> you have to be very disciplined about that because you know you start then making those decisions, you know, things that become expedited are urgent but not important. And if you do keep doing more and more of that, the ultimately in um, because if you talk to uh, there is. Um, you know, if you talk about flow um, uh, within the concept of um, theory of constraints uh, or lean, uh, one thing that, you know, is the last thing you do or you want to do is create, uh, is to pull, right? So so you mm-hmm. your processes or your, your value stream is so well aligned that you can pull features. So it's not like a backlog pushing things, but it's, it's almost a customer pulling features because everything is so well and streamlined. And then theoretically what you're doing is you're you're expediting everything in a way, right? So things are just moving so quickly then things are not getting stuck in within the value stream that then you have to add another kind of fast track through it, right? Usually, I mean, if I think about that kind of thing, you know, you look at um, 
you know, airport queues. You know, you got the, the really slow queue and then you pay a bit more and you got the fast track. Well, the fast track or is also arrive. slowing the other ones down even more, right? <laughs> or yeah. you, you arrive late to your flight, the, a couple of minutes, and then they open a, a, a different counter for people <laughs> who are... <laughs> and then you make a dash for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 well, that, that's true. I have a friend who, who used to do that. Like he would, instead of being two hours ahead of time uh, at the airport, like he, yeah. would, he would get very, very close. And they would just rush through the whole. Yeah, and let's uh, tell everyone that, oh, my flight, my flight. Exactly. Is my flight so is leaving. My flight is leaving. And, and people would just yeah, piss everyone else <laughs> off. But but I think it's a it's an important aspect. You know, a lot of the times when uh, when you are looking at different ways of speeding things through the value stream, in a way, you are still addressing a symptom, right? Because your value stream is not fast enough for everything to come through, and you're now adding new lines where you, you know, everything has to drop. But even when everything has to drop, that is creating waste because if, for example, it's, there is uh, work in progress, you know, the same people are having to do that. You know, there is not a completely new team just sitting there waiting for the expedited stuff to come through, right? Well, so you, that's, you, with, that's with expedite. There are other classes of service, like... Like you, you can have, you know, drop everything and jump and, and do this, right? Which is, I think, what you're referring to. But there is also, I don't remember the names of this, you know, I, I did this very long, but there's also a, you know, as soon as you finish what you're doing, the next thing that needs to be is, is this other thing. So you don't have to drop what you're doing. You finish what you're doing and then immediately after the, the, most important. Oh, I see. The most the prioritizations. Right? Exactly. The, yeah. Exactly. So, so there are different uh, classes of service in in that sense, right? Like it's not just drop it, and uh, there yeah. there are other uh, uh, elements which normally, for instance, like fix a date. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. they would have a date from which you know you they either start costing money or the you know they should be done by that date. So mm -hmm. normally, what you would do is you would look at that type of work, see what the uh, you know what, what the distribution is for it, like the what's what's what percentage that say falls under what, right? Like normally has kind of like a long tail distribution, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you would say, okay, if I don't know, I want eighty percent certainty that I'm going to finish this on time. You look at that, look at the distribution they have. Okay, eighty percent is here, yeah. So. This is what seven days. So I need to start working on this seven days before the date, the latest, if I want eighty percent uh, certainty. If I want one hundred percent, then you know you go all the way to the of the, of the queue, no, and then like okay, I need to start a hundred days before uh, before mm -hmm. the date, right? So so that way you can uh, you can choose at which point that becomes the next thing that you need to, that you need to bring. And, you know, if you get it done sooner, that's great. No, but it, it will give you some idea of, of what you want to do. Right. Should, and then there's we, standard and, and all that stuff. So should we, should we talk a bit more? Cause we, I think we're still skirting above on the theory of constraints and that, that kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. so let's talk a bit more about, uh, what are the things that really slow things down? Right and the, and how you remediate them. So, okay. so we because we're talking kind of in abstracts at the moment. Hey, so but, so yeah. let's let's start with the easy stuff. Yeah, anything that is manual, 
is error prone and is uh, so if you can remove that from the equation and automate it whether it's tests deployment um, all this stuff you know if you can automate it make it re a repeatable uh, uh, consistent uh, process no uh, that will already simplify your so, yeah, and that's true 99% of the time. There are definitely some, there are some things that could be automated, which are, which are where that, um, for example, perhaps you have some um, tests that check that things are the right color and have got the right radius of corners on rectangles and things like that in your UI that, that, that a QA can, you know, a manual, a, a person can look at and say, yeah, that, that looks fine. Whereas and it matches exactly the UI design, whereas writing tests for that would be really time consuming definitely doable but very time consuming so um if those if those things are really important and they need to be run hundreds of times a day or tens of times a day then it's definitely worth automating but where it's just kind of a quick look before it goes out to make sure that we haven't left the default style on a button or something like that i think that, that well, but more or less and eh, more, more or less i yeah. agree because you know you had golden master you had headless browsers you're like the, the, all of that stuff has become easier to, to oh yeah yeah definitely, uh, definitely true. as well eh? it, it is easier to automate but would yeah. you really want to automate it because i have examples no, I, exactly of the, those yeah, kind yeah. of tests really slowing things everything down basically <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah no no i i agree right like it's it's just you know, where do you want, you know, what quality gates you want to have, no, in place and how often do you want to have them, right? Like uh, as well, because there's a, there's also a cost on, on running some of these quality gates, right? So you may have, uh, you know, a performance run, you know, on a nightly build basis, for instance, mm -hmm. because it's a really expensive test to run mm -hmm. or whatever, right? Um, and things like this, right? So, so that definitely there is a context for which you know some of these things you might decide not to do them every, you know, every time that you're putting stuff out, no, or every, uh, but uh, but in general, automation would be a, a rule of thumb, right? <laughs> like if you I want to it's, get it's about done, you, you want to automate toil, right? It's basically something that yeah. you're repeating very, very often, and uh, it's costing you time. And you're not even able to do it in a kind of a deterministic way because you don't know what you've done and what you haven't. Automating those things. But I think the important point is that sometimes we we fall into the trap of thinking that automating or test automation is just the right thing to do full stop. It's not always the right thing to do because sometimes they, those tests can be very brittle and can get in the way mm -hmm. uh, of delivery as well as any manual task can. So, so moving to another aspect that uh, that also slows things down, um, usually integration. Uh, I think that you know, like if you have long-lived branches, that kind of stuff, and then you have to merge, and you know, or you have a ton of pull requests that people are, you know. There are basically you're you're pushing into people that are working now, then they have to drop what they're doing to look at the thing and so on. That also creates a lot of uh, a lot of waste. Mm. Um, so yeah, I tend to prefer more on the trunk-based feature flag kind of approach, where you know you're um, you're basically integrating all the time. No? Mm -hmm. 
there is a whole uh, body of uh, uh, kind of or rather there's a whole bunch of arguments on this right people i i think like i i it it kind of started here as well on our chat which was you know feature branches versus you know and then said, someone said you know but pull requests don't slow branches, things down yeah pull requests slow things down but someone said like short but you know talk about shortly feature branches they are okay and so on and in fact even martin fowler and so on they've said like oh you know when we talk about trunk based development we also kind of mean short-lived feature branches, you know, or like very t- small kind of commit level branches, which are like an hour or a few hours long and not, mm-hmm. not even days. So, so like, you know, when people say trunk-based development, they don't just mean trunk-based development. And when people talk about branches, they don't just mean very long-lived branches, you know. So, so there is almost, I, I think the base is actually around inventory and integrating. So keeping inventory in a place and then you have to integrate that, the larger that is, the bigger the problem. Even if you're doing trunk-based development, but then you're releasing every couple of months, you still got a problem, right? Because you are you you you. Oh, that's another that's another thing. Like uh, release management, right? Like the whole idea of release trains. You will never go faster than your release train. Doesn't matter what. This is another example of you know theory of constraints in action, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you only put into production every two weeks. It doesn't matter how you know how many features you you finish. You're not gonna you're not gonna release yeah. them in less than two weeks. So does it make sense to make the optimizations? Yes, no. You know what I mean? Like that's that's kind of mm-hmm. the the question there. No, like why do you have to wait for two weeks or or a month or whatever, right? And it's usually uh, this is another aspect that also uh, tends to tends to slow things down. Everything related to compliance and security is added at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Therefore, you know, when you get there and, and it, it has some reasons to be at the end, by the way, eh? a lot of this stuff, you know, like if you're doing some penetration testing or this kind of stuff, it's expensive to to run. So you don't want to be doing it every time. Right. But you there are aspects of security and compliance that you can shift left as much as possible. Right. From, you know, training the developers not to introduce you know, SQL injection or cross-site scripting or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, fault, no, security flow uh, into the software uh, that would allow you, you know, to, by the point that you get there, because it's an expensive test or quality, you don't want it to fail, right? So you want to do as much as you can before that in order to prevent it from from failing, you know, and, and having to, to go back, yeah? I think it's uh, another thing about that release train is often dependencies between teams. So you can end up waiting for, you know, your work relies, and you may have, you know, you might, your work might rely on the API of another team. And you may have been able to develop, you've kind of, you know, created a mock of that API of some kind, and you've worked against that, but actually waiting for that thing to, to either have that change ready or, or, or be developed entirely. Um, that, that, that that can be a real problem that needs to be needs to be sorted, um, and, and then you get down to the whole kind of you know teams being independent and and being able to deploy independently, um, which takes us to to monolith versus microservices. Yeah, <laughs> actually, actually, yeah. before before we go go there, uh, I, there is a there is a bit around re- release trains that's not just related to software or system dependencies, but rather process and departmental 
dependencies. So, you know, uh, anyone who's worked in um, kind of large companies must have heard of the, is it acronym CAB, right? Change mm-hmm. Advisory Board. Oh, yes. Right. So the CAB, it sits, you know, every month, once a month or once every two weeks. And you, you know, if you, if you're like, you know, maybe a week or two weeks early, tough luck, you wait for the cab to sit and they will mm-hmm. come and look at your change as well as part of their whole process. So this is an example of a process actually holding things up and not not necessarily a system dependency. And same mm-hmm. can go for people, comp- uh, other t- teams' time because you're not allowed to do this only production servicing. And I know in some cases it's necessary only they're allowed to touch that machine or that environment. So you have to wait until they can get around to you. You know, so there is not just around system, but it's about process, it's about team dependencies. And then, of course, it's like, you know, as you were mentioning, around system side of things as well. Mm-hmm. And and before someone was saying, I think it was Elder, uh, Elder saying uh, that a lot of the times blockers are because of trust or lack of trust. Uh, and some of this stuff, like the cap, no, is because of accountability as well. And it's like someone needs to sign off on mm-hmm. this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so on and so forth. And you need to look at, you know, the reason behind some of this, uh, let's, let's put it like these bottlenecks, no? And once you understand what is the reason, you can then start working around the bottleneck, right? Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, you know, like, oh, we need evidence, you know, we need to be able to trace everything, the the, the functionality all the way to, you know, the, the to when it was deployed. And we need to have accountability for all of that. We need to make sure that nothing gets deployed if all the tests are not passing and so mm-hmm. on, right? Like you can then, and, and we need to create the, you know, logs and these logs cannot be modified. And, you know, like, like all of that uh, stuff, no? Um, you can start designing or, or let's say using technology to aid you in that process. And then it can, you know, they don't need to see once a month anymore. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not somebody filling uh, forms like, because mm-hmm. I've seen the, the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, like, not the And then what did we change? But, there are, but you can they have often a call more streamlined. You know, exactly. like they run book. It's like step-by-step manual <laughs> instructions. Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in fact, you're right. You know, of like we, you would, a lot of these things, if you can create certain systems that have only certain kind of permissions, yeah. uh, and, you know, you're automating the pipeline and you're doing kind of promotion, like build promotions and so on, that cannot be, cannot be done from, um, from uh, other places. So you're already you bake in this kind of compliance within within the automation and not have to have someone kind of you know standing over you to to check. Yeah, those or there with the the checklist because they know that it would be impossible to get this far without all those boxes. Without all those yeah. all those marks. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one someone is uh, mentioning as well uh, that uh, there is a problem with let's call it technical debt. No, like the dealing with the functionalities of the past is also something that reduces uh, the the speed. And mm-hmm. uh, there there are a few things that, that can be done uh, around this, right? Like uh, you, uh, you need to look at why, 
no, it, it's slowing you down. Is it because of lack of knowledge of, of the system, the feature and so on? So that, that understanding or shared understanding of the system is something that you can uh, work on. Is it because of the quality of, of the go? Is it hard to change? Is it, uh, is it brittle? No, is it uh, not tested? Therefore, people are afraid to change it. It's not that it's hard. It's like, what if I change it and then <laughs> something breaks, right? Because I have no way of knowing. Uh, so if you understand why it is that that is becoming a problem, you can start acting on it to, to speed that up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you can introduce uh, testing, uh, you know, golden mass, depending on, on what the quality of the code is and so on. Uh, you can create your refactoring roadmap, no? So that every time that you need to go back and touch that part of the code, you're evolving it towards, you know, your ideal for this, no? Uh, and then at some point, you know, it will be easier to change, it will be easier to test, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and, and things like this, right? But you need to understand why the previous features or the previous parts of the system that you have to interact with are slowing you down. If you don't do that analysis, it's going to be, it's always going to be there. No? The, and there is, I mean, within that, you know, you've got, you've got readability as well. So it's code is difficult to read and so on. There's a lot of things that are actually connecting to making change easy. There is the whole kind of um, cognitive load side of things as well is, mm -hmm. you know, the, um, it, if you have to understand too much of the code base to understand what a particular feature is doing, uh, that also creates a lot of uh, anxiety, let's say, when you're making change. If, for example, that if that's combined with, uh, and sometimes not even combined with, you know, lack of tests and 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 those kind of things. The other side of things is, and often we looked at this, is it's not just about uh, the size of the code base, but it's also about how things are happening, right? So often when, when code is not readable, when it's not directly traceable. So, you know, a lot of magic, like, you know, uh, global state or those types of things mm -hmm. also, also cause problems and you don't know exactly where the change is happening. Um, uh, dependencies that are not clear. So sometimes dependencies on the database from outside processes, you know, that are kind of looking at your implementation, like leaky abstractions, uh, even coupling and cohesion, all these things combined actually make change very, very, can make change very difficult if not if not carefully considered. You, you mentioned traceability there, and I think that is one thing that I've seen that people massively underestimate in the, the kind of... Um, the, the monolith to microservice buzzworld, right, is is how much more difficult it can be if you don't have good traceability as a developer to work out what's going on mm -hmm. when you've got many, many microservices and like you, you can no longer rely on your IDE to be able to just trace stuff through for you, right? You, you can't to, follow through. Yeah. You can't follow through on your code base. That's, yeah. that's also... Yeah, as soon as you have a distributed the system or that it's not all in uh -huh. one place, you it's going to be difficult if something goes wrong it's going to be really difficult to to find out exactly or even just to understand it when you pick it up when you, you go to make a change right because mm -hmm. because you have to look at perhaps four or five different code bases to get the context to be able to make yeah. the change that you want to make it's really um a challenge that people underestimate yeah yeah so so what what are other areas uh that can slow 
slow people down, slow delivery down? I guess uh, one thing is is having the right skills in the team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, if you need, we all have to learn things uh, as we go sometimes, and, you know, especially in our industry. But um, clearly it's slower if you're having to learn a, a technology or a framework or a library before, um, you know, a, as you write the code. It's kind of like I, I, I often like to call it the kind of the skill versus challenge gap, you know, like you've got a the Goldilocks challenge. Log, the challenge you know? <laughs> <laughs> Is that too cold? <laughs> well, you can be too skilled, but you can't. Uh, maybe you can also also solve problems, and you're too skilled. Uh, but yeah, if you if you don't have the yeah, you know, if you've got a team of uh, I don't know, like people who who are starting to do mobile development, and no one has any experience of doing that before. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's going to definitely slow things down or even new domains and, and those kind of things. You know, if you don't have a good understanding of the domain, like it was almost rife within, you know, working in the banking sector and where domain can be very, very opaque and difficult. You'd be like, I'd be surprised how many people have spent years doing stuff, but just don't really know the full kind of, mm-hmm. don't have a full understanding of the business. They're just relying on the business analysts to kind of tell them, do this and do that. And, oh, yeah, that works. And that doesn't work, you know, without kind of truly understanding. And I, I, I guess that's also part of your, the kind of the skill slash knowledge versus challenge gap. Right, and can slow it was down. interesting you said about the the mobile development thing as well, right? Because if nobody on the team has got the skills for mobile development, but you pick it up, it happens, right? It happens. Mm-hmm. Actually, you're not only affecting your speed now, but probably in the future as well, because you are probably making mistakes, right? You are probably introducing some technical debt, even unknowingly, mm-hmm. um, you know, or some kind of accidental complexity into the thing that's going to slow you down, you know, in the future as well. So there, you, you touch on on another point that I think uh, may be a, a, a blocker as well. And we talked about this when we talked about queues and how, you know, maybe uh, work is getting piled up in front of I don't know, QA or something like that. And I think the inflexibility yeah, of the, let's say, of, of the workforce or the, the capacity, the, those skills that you have in your team, the... Uh, the inability of people to be able to move where the bottleneck is and kind of deal with it and and sort it out, even if it's not, you know, you're not a specialist, right? Uh, in the matter, I think it's something that a lot of times creates uh, creates all of this stuff that we're talking about, right? So, you know, it's the typical example is the one that I was uh, mentioning before, and it's like things are piling up in QA for whatever reason. And you know you're a developer. You could probably go and and do some of that work uh, as well. Yeah, on the mm-hmm. automation side and and so on and so forth. So, in the thing that adds the most value, or let's say to to the customer, is it picking up a new story and you know starting something completely new, or is it finishing uh, something that's already there and you know that there's a bottleneck and it needs to be uh, addressed, right? And that idea, I think, is quite powerful as well. That uh, that workforce flexibility across the whole uh, value stream is something that helps a lot in in speeding up delivery. The the T shaped or or pie shape uh, professional, no, where you have more than one uh, one or more uh, um, you know things where you you go quite deep, no, but you're able to cover 
you know, quite a quite a, a bunch of other things that mm-hmm. are necessary for things to to happen. No, and it's not just about technical stuff. It's also about stuff that needs to be done in the project for for it to work. No, like refining things or you know, removing the backlog or whatever it is that. <laughs> needs to get done that is not writing code right yeah i i totally agree actually yeah when when people are too siloed and not working as a team and not you know helping each other out yeah things are sure to uh sure to slow down it's not only collective ownership of the code because someone is asking you know is, are you talking about collective ownership it's not only collective ownership of the code yeah it's ownership of the outcome ownership. Yeah, because yeah, they just said collective ownership, but do they mean code or do they actually mean collective ownership as in in general? Like of the, in of general, the, um, yeah, yeah, that that I, I completely agree with is is owning the outcome, yeah, the yeah. full uh, the full thing. This is one of the things that I like about the the whole uh, uh, metaphor of, of the of the craftsman, no, and and the the being able to sign your work and understanding every part of the process right be involved in every part of the process and i think this is something that with economies of scale and engineering in general it it got lost right that you get trained to do one aspect and people usually look at that yeah, yeah. but it's not just what you do it's all the relationship with of, of what you do with everything else right mm-hmm. if you don't understand that how do you know that that you're doing yeah. a good job yeah and it, it so. makes for a great team spirit. It's just more fun, right? If if everybody's kind of pitching in and getting the thing, and and you know we're, we're building this thing together, it's a much better spirit within that team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and more effective. You know, yeah. they they have yeah, as you said, from a spirit, from a teamwork, everything from those point of view for sure. But meeting expectations, meeting, uh, you know, meeting delivery expectations, these things also, right? It it. Mm-hmm. It all goes goes hand in hand. There's there's one question I think uh, was kind of asked in um, I think by someone like you know if because I, I made a comment around like you know no not many people understand the banking thing and said well if you knew That's everything cool. that a bank did that you'd be a banker. First thing <laughs> is assuming if you want to be a banker. <laughs> uh, but the other thing is actually what I'm talking about is banking is a very very wide field. But what I'm talking about it is is certain kind of sub domains within banking like for example one of the domains i was working on was uh, over the counter um uh, oct trades right and people didn't understand that process forget about all the other things right just that particular process that those systems were built on end to end most people actually didn't understand um there's a couple of things that i, I would like to add and I, I think maybe worth talking about is one is cost of failure that you know, if the cost of failure is low, then because we talked about, you know, things going wrong and so on. But sometimes we are afraid to make change because the cost of failure or cost of something mm-hmm. going wrong is extremely high. Because yeah. you can't yeah. stop, have, make, you know, you can't stop things going wrong always. But I think it's related to that as well. Right? I, think, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's um, both at a kind of, team and at an individual level right because if if as an individual you are the cost of failure if you mess something up you're going to be in trouble well the best way to not mess something up is to do very little 
yeah. right? It's, um, <laughs> it's true, isn't it? So, so you know, if if that if that blame's there, then uh, you know, and and if I met if I do this and I mess it up, I'm going to be in trouble. Well, I uh, I'm either going to be perhaps over diligent when I'm doing it and kind of um, gold plate it and and uh, etc. Or I'm going to not, not, just not. try not to do it exactly <laughs> it's like I, i've had literally had these conversations with so, someone from production services in my kind of past work is that uh every release brings you know x number of defects we just release less often and we reduce the defects immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, one thing, because uh, uh, you mentioned fear, no, because because that is yeah. also associated with that. No, I'm not going to release because you know there are consequences, and and there's a human aspect to this that I feel is also undervalued, like having people aligned. And understanding what the intent is and what it is that, that you're trying to accomplish and so on and so forth, I think is also quite powerful, right? And before we were saying, uh, you know, helping each other, that collaboration aspect, but part of what makes that great is that everyone sees the outcome, yeah? Like everyone can feel accomplished because we created something. Uh, it gives you that, you know, that sense of uh, purpose and, and accomplishment, no? Exactly. Uh, and building those things into the culture of your team, no, and and building things like you know continuous improvement uh, or grow and 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 learning mindset, that kind of stuff is also very powerful, uh, mm -hmm. and and helps with continuously improving that. The, the delivery because you're gonna find problems, but not only continuously improving when you know that they're uh, problems. Yeah, I think another way of uh, of taking that or tackling that would be to say, okay, if we wanted to do this instead of in two weeks, in one week, how would it look like? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's no longer, oh, we, you know, we, we found this problem here and it took very long, and now we're solving it. No, that's that's kind of like they continue. Is is the whole. Um, Kaikagu uh, kind of mentality. You know? It's like we we need to reinvent things so that it actually goes faster, not just do small incremental uh, improvements, right? And that is an that is a cultural aspect, mm. right? Like that idea of you know being able to challenge uh, the status quo and and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff is is culture as well. No, it and it goes to fear as well, and you know the connected to to those things we mentioned before yeah yeah sure okay um so we're, there, is, there is a ton of things to talk about and i'm sure like i've even got a long list of things that, but i i think we we run we run out of time so so let's get down to some final thoughts who's gonna start steve if you don't know what final <laughs> thoughts are basically say a bunch of stuff that you've already said Exactly. You summarize or you, you give some recommendations. So I'll I'll give a recommendation for for a book. Uh, if you're interested in in speeding up software delivery, yeah, there is a book called uh, Principles of Product Development Flow, uh, which deals with a lot of of this. is is a heavy book. Like it's not a 
It's not, uh, not that big, easy. actually. It's about... No, no, it's not easy to read, is what yeah, I think. Well, it's, about, it's about 200 pages, but there's... But, but it's no, a no, it's, it's, a more, it's, it's a bit more. It's a bit more. It's a bit more, I think. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but it, it touches on a lot of stuff in order to optimize the, you know, the, the software development lifecycle no? and, and how to... Uh, how to know which trade-offs to make and and all the things he talks about the economics of software development as well uh, and it's 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 pretty interesting if you it actually really want it, to. that's the bit that talks about not not listening to batch sizes too much by the way <laughs> so you need to go back and read it. <laughs> oh, I need to go back there. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so, so yeah, so that would be my recommendation to go and and check it out. Very good and, book. Very good book. Yeah, Mash, you recommended you recommended that to me. In fact, it is, it is yeah. a good book. It, I did a talk it, on it. It's, it's hard work. <laughs> it yeah. is hard work. I actually there are two books. That's called The Principles of Flow, and there's a book called Flow, which is the research on the psychological state. And how the the principles of like product development flow and the psychological state flow they're actually very much in sync. Right. This idea of that self similarity, certain concepts, kind of universally applied concepts, uh, often are are kind of the the most uh, let's say true or or Reliable. understandable, yeah, yeah, or relatable, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Those are my final thoughts. Very good, thank you. <laughs> and you, Steve? I think that we spent quite a lot of time talking about um, it, it, the, the fact that it's not about code, right? That, that, but it is about the about truly working as a team, um, not as a bunch of individuals. And by tr and but your team is probably bigger than you think, right? Or it's not it's not the the people you sit down with at your your group of desks every day or come to your stand up. You know, there is a there is a it's it's a big thing to get something from the you know uh, the, the person who had an idea to something out in production and, and you need to look at that entire value stream um, that's really your team right that's the team that's involved in delivering that software and all parts of that need to work efficiently and and everybody within that needs to work together to make sure that um, you know particularly we talked about the kind of hand handovers and things like that uh, or handoffs um, uh, and the queues. Um, Making sure that uh, yeah we make make that whole process as, as efficient as possible, that every, and, and everybody's prepared to work at any stage of that. Thank you, Steve. Um, and yeah, from from me, I think I'd very much echo uh, both of your points. Flow is a very good book to read, and uh, yeah, you have to think things things holistically. Uh, start really looking at and maybe start using some measures. We talked about like lead time and cycle time. There's like part of four key metrics and there are others as well. There's a lot of stuff out there, which is around kind of measuring the the speed, as it were, and, and getting the right kind of metrics out so you can actually start identifying those bottlenecks and start working on them. But I think the process for improvement should always should go hand in hand with your process of software development. So you should always be looking to improve. And a lot of the things that we talked about uh, and there are many others ways of improving uh, speed of delivery as well. So, um, so yeah, thank you. So the, thank you very much for for listening. And uh, as always, if you uh, uh, if you like this, then uh, like on YouTube and subscribe so you know when our next session is. It's usually around the same time every every Tuesday, but it will give you a reminder as well. 
and join us live so that you know and ask us questions and uh, you know participate in the debate it makes it much richer as i said thank you very much for listening thanks for having me i'll see you on the other side next week <laughs> <laughs>